Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. It seems everywhere we turn these days, the most important things are happening regarding the most currentest of topics at all times. Keeping up with the latest news is now more of a professional sport than it is an interest or a hobby. Why would this be a hobby? What a terrible hobby. Content is being put into the public square so fast now, editors can't even be bothered to do their job to make sure spelling is correct anymore. Seriously, the number of spelling errors on most websites is just embarrassing. On today's episode, we're going to try to cover two of the hottest topics being discussed, while at the same time reviewing five total articles. First, we're going to find out how our government is going to help to keep us safe by making it even more difficult to obtain a basic tool that's used every day to keep us safe. And then we'll discuss how calling good evil and evil good is totally in vogue. So find a good hiding spot, as soon that's all you'll have available to use, and put your Bible away and stop being so judgmental, because here we go. There are two things that we've been told forever that if we just did them, everything would be better. The first is, if we could only have a conversation about, and then just fill in the blank, the left has been trying to get the right to have a conversation about just about everything for many, many years now. We need to have a conversation about race and racism, about immigration, about health care, about gender, about tranny library groom the kids days, about social security, and the list is nearly endless. And despite all of the talking that's been done about all of these, we've apparently, nay, clearly, we have never had a conversation, or so we're told. The other thing that would fix everything is just doing something about guns. In fact, if we could just start by having a conversation about guns and gun violence, then maybe, maybe we could finally do something, anything about it. And we also know, per everything the left and the corporate media, but I repeat myself, says and does, that it isn't really a conversation they want, nor is it something they want done regarding guns. They want their conversation conversated only. And if those on the right try to deviate from the approved conversation, it's literally a hate crime, and AOC is attacked and dies yet again. And the something they want done regarding gun crime is their something. And if those on the right don't agree, then it's, Literally a hate crime, and AOC is attacked and dies again. Plus, you hate kids. But finally, a bipartisan group of senators got together. Conversations regarding doing something with the unconstitutional limitation of constitutionally guaranteed rights of Americans were had. Shady, underhanded, criminal, I mean, I mean, negotiations and common sense agreements were reached. And thanks to about 10 or so turncoat Republicans, no, not turncoat, I meant rhino, no, not rhino, I mean fake lying liberals in conservative clothing, more chipping away at our Constitution can be systematically accomplished. Found on CNN.com headline, Manchin says bipartisan gun agreement takes no rights away, no privileges away. Ah, good. 
So this time it appears that Senator Joe Manchin, one of my senators, someone with both feet firmly planted in uh, Team Manchin, which is generally left of center, but generally not the extremist loony commie left that most seem to be these days, apparently he won't step up to save the day this time. He did, however, put minds at ease. He said, quote, This piece of legislation, as drafted, should not be threatening to any law-abiding citizen in the United States of America. Not one. And no law-abiding gun owner should be offended by this. We take no rights away, no privileges away. We don't basically threaten you're going to lose anything at all, except maybe if we don't do this, you might lose a child or a grandchild. Ah! Well, done and done. I'm not offended in the least, then. Well, this has been another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Hey, hey, wait a minute. So let's start by looking at what this sweet deal is going to yield us. Then let's take a look at the messaging that is carefully crafted, make no mistake about that, and then we'll decide if we should be offended or not. The first thing is strengthening the red flag laws. These are in place so that someone else can make the claim that you're not safe owning a weapon. That sounds fine on the surface, but this is also something that can and has been used as a weapon of vengeance. Regardless of if the person is literally a credible threat or not, if a claim is made, that person will generally be raided in some manner, which has actually gotten some unsuspecting gun owners shot, And if he or she survives, the guns will be confiscated and the individual will be investigated heavily. And if you know anything about how processes like these work, best of luck ever getting your legally owned firearms back again, and it doesn't matter if you did anything or not. So we have red flag laws already in place, but now we will will still have those in place. But there will be more money thrown at it, so, you know, better. Next is more funding for mental health resources, including suicide prevention and telehealth. I'll be honest, not sure what this will do. Those those resources are out there already. Next is closing the boyfriend loophole. Apparently, as of right now, a person convicted of a domestic violence while married, living with or having a child with someone, can't own a gun. Closing this loophole would allow the authorities to disallow gun ownership for people that have been convicted of domestic violence and had been in a, quote, serious relationship with someone. Now, on the surface, this sounds generally okay, although domestic violence is a term that's thrown around loosely depending on the jurisdiction you're in. And who defines serious relationship? I'd have to look a lot more closely into this one. Then we finally get to the demonization of 18 to 21 year olds that are not only allowed into but encouraged to join and must sign up to be potentially conscripted into the military. So apparently the National Instant Criminal Background Check System would not only do the normal scrutinization of an individual wanting to purchase a gun, but if that person is under 21, they now need to call the state's agency that deals with mental health, including juvenile records. The waiting period can now be extended from three days up to ten days to perform this check. Yeah, okay, so this goes nowhere good. How many kids over the last two years alone of this manufactured pandemic have had thoughts of self-harm and gone to a counselor or a psychiatrist or a doctor? How many had prescriptions for depression meds handed to them? And they want us to believe that those kinds of actions as kids 
won't disallow them from obtaining a firearm later. If you honestly believe that, the jerking motion you feel in your head might be that hook-like piece of jewelry that's firmly set in your upper lip. This will have an initial effect of denying more sub-21-year-olds from legally obtaining a firearm, but it will have a larger, longer-term effect of kids and or parents not seeking out the help for a child because Big Brother is now watching. Next is clarification as to who constitutes a federally licensed firearm dealer. This forces people that sell firearms to register with the government. This requires the person to conduct background checks. Again, on the surface, this looks fine. But say you have a gun collector, and despite what the nail-biting left thinks, there are lots of collectors that have dozens of guns or more. Well, if he wants to sell his guns to friends, family, depending on how many he has, there's a chance he gets labeled as a dealer and gets himself in some pretty big federal trouble. And if you don't think the Fed won't use this little rule to do just that, you're crazy. And the last thing on the list that I pulled up is school security resources. So the one thing that would actually do anything, they're going to throw a little money at this one. And this is nothing more than a nod and a middle finger to those on the right and left who actually want to stop another school shooting. But they'll throw money at it and support schools in trying to prevent violence and give them money for training for students and employees. This won't be marksmanship training, mind you. This will be how to effectively run, hide, and pray. Uh, well, no, check that. Not pray. Can't have that in school. Now, of course, CNN being... CNN, they may note that missing from this agreement is expanded background checks, which is literally stupid and useless. It sounds like a thing. It literally changes nothing. A so-called assault weapon ban, which despite what Joey Bag of Pudding says, never did anything the last time they tried it. Like literally, it didn't change the statistics at all. That's not to mention that the term assault weapon is a made-up foolish term. It's actually Latin, I think, for black and scary, which begs the question, what does the left have against black things? Huh. And then the higher minimum age of purchase also wasn't included, because we all know that kids aren't adults until they're 21. Except for certain things like gambling or going into the military and operating things like nuclear submarines and tanks and battleships and flying top gun planes into the danger zone. But beer, cigarettes, and guns, they need to be adults to get those, you know, 21 years old. But that doesn't count for insurance, in which case you're still a kid until you're 26. So, you know, consistency. So just as Joe Manchin says, this shouldn't make any law-abiding citizen feel threatened. Do you feel threatened? I don't feel threatened. And why? Why are we doing this? Well, simple. As Manchin starts his comments, it's based around children. And as he wraps up his comments, we don't basically threaten you're going to lose anything at all, except maybe if you don't do this, you might lose a child or a grandchild. So did you get that? It's a crap sandwich. My apologies if you're offended by that term, sandwich. This is the messaging. This is why those on the left, and, and in all honesty, I hesitate to put Manchin as well as a small handful of others on the left into this bucket, but, but this is why they are kind of okay with a school shooting. In fact, I'd feel comfortable saying that for some of them, as soon as any shooting becomes a breaking news headline, they start rubbing their hands together, plotting from the first second how they can use those that a murderer killed to push their agenda. And if it's kids, <laughs> all the better. Now, I know that sounds harsh to say, but if you've been following politics for even nearly, even close to as long as I have, you'd have no doubt that I'm right. 
And that's why the reporting from a shooting always starts with a right-wing white extremist. And then nearly every time they have to back that down, and then they do something like what Manchin did, gave a carefully crafted message. So let's break down the components of the carefully crafted message, shall we? First, it has to focus on a perceived vulnerable demographic. In this case, it's children. The focus is, if we don't do this, children will be mercilessly gunned down in every school all day, every day. Now, other examples are the COVID so-called vaccine, as well as distancing, locking down, masks. You don't want to kill grandma, right? And think of all those empty chairs around the kitchen table. How many times has Joey said that? Another example is putting the taxpayer on the hook for legally, willingly borrowed student loans. Again, these were just naive children that the bank viciously took advantage of. And... And just think, we can't overturn Roe. Think of the 13-year-old rape victim or the cancer-riddled mother that will die without chemo. Are you getting the picture? They must throw you off balance with an emotional straw man. That's first. Next, they simplify what they want to do. This is only prevention and intervention. You do want to prevent school shootings, right? You do want authorities to intervene before something bad happens again, right? How about, it's only 15 days to flatten the curve. It's only a simple face covering. How about, it's not us paying the student loan debt. It's, it's simply forgiving the debt. You know, poof, gone. How about, it's simply preserving a woman's medical autonomy. That's all. And then next, they appeal to your moral superiority. You're a law-abiding citizen, right? Well, then these simple measures won't affect you at all because you're one of the good guys. In fact, pat yourself on the back for not having to worry about these added laws at all. Or, or maybe your mask protects me, so thank you for doing your part to stop the spread. Or, or it's just a simple, safe, effective vaccine, and you've already been a believer in science and a taker of vaccines, so, you know... And how about you know how hard it is as a kid to get started, and you definitely don't want to burden those children with debt to start their lives, right? Or you know how expensive children are and how difficult it can be to raise them. Some women just don't have the ability, and we don't want to burden them with this. Besides, what kind of life could we offer that child? There's a much simpler solution. And then finally... They either implicitly or blatantly demonize any countering viewpoint. In the case of Manchin's statement, if someone is offended by this, if they feel threatened by this, then that person is clearly a criminal and doesn't care about kids and maybe even has plans to go shoot up a school on his own or her own. I mean, how could we know if they're offended? Or maybe you don't want to be one of those flat earther, anti-science, anti-vaxxer conspiracy nuts, right? They're all thinking that their government and all the unelected government bureaucrats and agencies are out there to get them. It's crazy, and they're dangerous because they don't care who gets sick and dies. Or maybe you'd rather see billionaires pay less taxes than their secretaries. You'd rather see huge corporations rob us blind, all the while forcing mere children into depression and suicide because you're greedy and don't want to help a poor kid out. 
Or we have, you just want to force women to get pregnant and give birth, but you don't care what happens after the baby's born. You don't care about the little girl that will be pregnant in middle school. You don't care about the mother that'll die if she's forced to carry a baby. You're just heartless. You hate women. See, are you seeing the pattern? It's every time. And this is why the right, who are heads and tails more highly logical and data-driven, have a very difficult time appealing to the common person. To say something like, yes, statistically, if people are allowed to exercise their Second Amendment right as written, with none of the limitations that have been placed on it, there will be a few rogue criminals that will use a gun in an unlawful manner to kill multiple people. But statistically, the chance is very small that it would ever happen. <laughs> well, Poindexter, that's not good enough. When you have a bleeding-heart liberal twisting what you say, ignoring the data, and appealing to a heightened state of emotion, data and facts, <laughs> they can't compete. So what do those on the right do? <laughs> uh, we try to shove our data and facts into some sort of cobbled-together emotional appeal, and we fail nearly every time. So the question now is, should we, the law-abiding gun owners, be offended or threatened by this? Now, I've said this before, that it, it takes two to be offended. So yeah, you can decide for yourself, but my personal opinion is that the implication made by an elected official that if I don't agree with the proposals as made that I'm either stupid, a conspiracy nut, a criminal, or want children to die, uh, that's a little offensive to me. I mean, the question we need to ask is, in looking back at past mass murders using a gun, or even single murders using a gun, would these measures effectively stop any or all of them? The answer, as is always the case, is not really. Looking at the most recent event being hijacked by the anti-gun authoritarians, the Uvalde murders, the red flags were already there. The red flag laws were in place. They weren't acted on. Additional mental health resources would have done nothing, as it's not like he was on a waiting list for help or anything. The boyfriend loophole doesn't apply. He had nothing that we know of that would have stopped him from getting a gun under enhanced security. He didn't have a record of any sort. He didn't get it from a third-party unlicensed source. The types of school security improvements might have stopped him. In fact, of anything they did or didn't do in their little meeting that they had the other day, that's the one thing that would have any chance at altering the course of events. The Ohio State government has the right idea. In fact, with training, teachers will be allowed to carry in the school. You want a deterrent? You remove the gun-free zone and make it so nobody knows how many barrels will be pointed back at you if you decide to cause trouble. That is the right thing to do. So we basically got two major issues in play, and they're both directly related to the curse and fallenness of sin in this world. The first is that we have people that think they can legislate and mandate away the effects of sin. That they can make rules that will stop evil. What they conveniently ignore is that murder is already illegal. Not to mention however many laws are broken every single time a mass shooting takes place. No amount of laws, no level of restrictions will stop sin. Individually, only the turning of a life over to Christ will bring someone even a step in that right direction. And even then, the battle with the human nature takes place on a consistent, persistent basis. Until Christ comes back, the earth is remade, and eternity begins, sin will always exist. Add on top of that a culture that has been crafted to remove God from society— and you get exactly what we have. The second sin issue is the grasp for power, the need for control. The Founding Fathers had it right when they put the Second Amendment in place as a deterrent to potentially tyrannical governments at some point in the future. 
We can debate if they were divinely inspired. We can debate if they looked at the sinfulness, the depravity of man, and knew that it would be a good idea for man to have a little insurance policy to go along with their freedom. But whatever the reason, they knew a free populace that can not only defend themselves, but go on the offense if needed, does not allow those that crave, that, that lust after complete control over others to just do as they please. The measures that Manchin sees no problem with are, again, just another step down the slippery slope. We can only do that so much before we lose our footing and start the inevitable slide down to a loss of freedoms like other allegedly free nations like uh, Australia. You know, they're only as free as the government allows them to be. Unfortunately, this is the system we're in. So what do we do? Well, we can't allow ourselves to be caught up in the previously prepared, carefully messaged, knee-jerk reactions that are simply waiting for the right time to be drug out into the open. If you think that anything that's been a response to a recent event, wasn't prepared and ready to go long before the event, just sitting there waiting, you're crazy. The psychological studies have been done. They know the right amount of outrage to use. They know the right words to say, the right strings to pull, to get at the heart of the general population at their weakest, to get them to comply with just about anything. So for you, evaluate everything carefully before complying. Look into the data Think through the implications and absolutely look for the biblical principles at play. Although we're not a theocracy, we can still evaluate everything based on if it's moving more toward the Bible or more away from the Bible. And then we need to stand for what we believe. Stand for what the Bible informs us to be true and use whatever influence we have, great or small, to do what we can to spread the true truth. We need to be people of faith and action not of fear and reaction. Well, this will either work or it'll be a complete disaster. Normally, I take an article and review that article. This time, I'm going to try and take a total of four articles and review them all, albeit briefly for most of them, but they all speak on the same topic, and this topic is getting so ridiculous, so out of hand, we're at a point where we as Christians need to say this is it. The line has been reached. The saints of God need to become the army of God and stand for what we believe before we can't anymore. When I say anti-God, out-of-control political platform, you might think climate change, and you'd be right, or abortion, and you'd be right. But for the case of this review, we're going to be talking about the LGBTQQIA2 plus movement. In 2015, the Supreme Court ruled in the Obergefell v. Hodges case that all couples of legal age, etc., are granted the fundamental right to marry per a couple clauses in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, regardless of gender. Basically, the right to gay marriage was granted in 2015. Mostly Christians, but others on the political right, the conservatives argued that marriage is defined as one man and one woman, and that's all. The argument was that this was nothing but cresting the top of a very slippery slope, and if granted as constitutionally protected, there would be an ever-increasing demand to broaden the definition of marriage, to widen the list of permissible relationships, etc. As is always the case, those on the left painted us as haters, as discriminatory, as fundamentalists, and poo-pooed the idea that there was even a possibility that they wanted to go farther in their depravity. They only wanted the right to love who they love and have the legal protections that other loving couples have. I remember Glenn Beck at the time making an argument that I agree with in principle, remove all sanction of marriage from a state or federal governmental body, 
with the only requirements that it's legally consenting adults and let the church take care of it from there. If the church chooses to marry someone, fine. The government really only got involved anyway because they can make a little extra money on the licenses and things like that. Like I said, in principle, that would be perfect, but in reality, we have exactly the same depravity, the same evil inside the various religions and denominations as we do in the world. So, although that would have been a good solution, the results are the same. Fast forward to the 2020s, now 2022, and we see that we're picking up speed on an ever slippery slope. I could literally review four articles per day on this topic right now, as everywhere you turn, you find a transgender show for kids here, a gay grooming teacher there, a polyamorous, polysexual someone or something telling us how healthy that relationship is, a church claiming God is multi-gender, kids being told they're transgender, given hormones or mutilation surgery, babies being allowed to choose their gender, every company, sports team, and network with six colored rainbows as their logo, and shaming and canceling of anyone that doesn't celebrate the LGBTQ religion, and this is a religion, and who isn't happily, openly gay and ready to diddle or be diddled by anyone or anything. Now to that end, I want to cover this selection of articles as they give a good overview of the perversion that has gripped our country, the evil that's encroached on every area of our culture and society, and some ways that we've handled this uh, badly. I'm going to tackle these in the order of published date, but they're all from early June of this year. Like I said, I could do four per day, probably any day. First, from NBCNews.com, headline, Hateful Anti-LGBTQ Graduation Speech at Ohio High School Sparks Outrage. Now, just for transparency, the word hateful was a quoted word. It was not NBC's word, although... Let's be honest here. <clears throat> so the gist of this article, at the River Valley High School graduation in Caledonia, Ohio, a town of about 560 people, alumnus Jim McGuire gave the commencement address. McGuire is a business owner and a board member of the Marion County Board of Developmental Disabilities and appears to be in his maybe late 50s, early 60s, something like that. As one small part, but apparently the only part that matters, he said, quote, choose a spouse, I suggest. I also strongly suggest to make sure to choose biblical principles. You know, a male with a female, and a female with a male. Well, that was it. That was too much for apparently all people everywhere. The vitriol, the hatred, how dare he express a view other than the view that has been deemed socially acceptable. Comments and reactions cited in the article include hateful, inappropriate. A 2018 graduate there to watch her sister said, quote, When he made the comment that marriage should only be between a man and a woman, my jaw dropped to the floor, and I honestly thought I was hearing it wrong. I had to look around and see if other people were having the same reaction that I was, and they were. I felt like crying when I heard some people in the crowd clapping, but I was absolutely outraged, and so were my parents and brother. I heard people behind me whispering about how inappropriate the comment was as well. A Twitter user wrote in part, quote, he should take his ignorant views back to the 1950s. A Facebook user sympathized with the obviously traumatized graduates. I mean, how could they not be suffering some 
form of gay PTSD, and he said, quote, I'm sorry this hateful speech overshadowed your amazing achievements and this incredibly special milestone in your lives. The school administration, of course, started fumfering wildly to try to distance and remove any concept of culpability in this hate crime, stating, quote, The speech was not reviewed by anyone on the River Valley Administrative Team or Board of Education. Any views expressed by the speaker during his commencement speech reflected his personal beliefs. He was not speaking as an official representative of River Valley local schools. Well, that wasn't enough, so the superintendent of the school district said, quote, The alumni speaker was not a member of the River Valley staff, and he was not speaking as an official representative of River Valley local schools. Now, Mr. McGuire, who I honestly don't think realizes how brave and apparently foolish his statement was, said that he didn't say anything against anyone. He wasn't negative toward any person or group. He's, he's a positive person. Second story. Found on CNN.com headline, an affirming hymnal is helping LGBTQ Christians keep the faith. The story revolves around a uh, (laughs) hymnal, I've got some fairly heavy quotes around that word, alleged hymns compiled by the Hymn Society, (sighs) quoting McQuote face there, entitled Songs for the Holy Other, subtitled Hymns Affirming the LGBTQIA2S+, community. The gist of the article is that music plays a large part in just about everyone's life, and for the religious, that's no different. In some ways, it may even be more so. They start by giving a brief profile of one Jeanette Lindholm, who grew up in a Christian church, always loved music, but her apparent lesbian tendencies were considered sinful, and she was in need of healing, or so said her church. She knew that was wrong, that love was love. She went on to study music, feminism, and theology, fell in love with her now wife Chris, and found a church that agreed with her beliefs that love is love and being different is a blessing. And now she has two hymns, so many quotes around this word, in the aforementioned hymnal. I mean, the quotes are impressive at this point. The hymnal, quote, first published in 2019, contains a collection that has proven to be a unique resource for churches who fully celebrate queer believers. Now, it boasts some of the well-known classics, such as A Hymn for Self-Acceptance, God of Queer Transgressive Spaces, and Impartial Compassionate God. Prior to this compilation, music director and Hymn Society member C.J. Redden Leota said that there just wasn't much available. They had to use songs and hymns that uh, sort of connected, like songs that mentioned rainbows and wide welcomes. But this wasn't enough, as we all know mere tolerance isn't enough, and the phrase loving the sinner, hating the sin doesn't really work for them. In fact, it doesn't really work for me either. It's not a biblical saying, at least not without just massive caveats all over. Stating, quote, all are welcome in a church should mean all, but apparently it doesn't mean all. Fortunately, there are affirming religions and denominations out there, but there are those that are not affirming also, and those are bad bad religions. And those bad religions can make people feel bad because they're being told that sin is bad. And we all know sin is in the eye of the beholder. According to a recent Pew poll, about 54% of practicing Christians said homosexuality should be accepted. To which I'd say, (laughs) well, it looks like about 54% of practicing Christians don't know their Bible or what they believe and aren't probably Christians. There might be a few of those percent that are simply confused with 
all of the messaging that's out there right now, but most of them, I mean, can you be a Christian if you don't know or don't believe the very text that explains what being a Christian is? Likewise, another study found that 47% of LGBTQ people are religious. Well, I'd argue that everyone is religious. We all have a belief system of some sort, so that doesn't make them Christians. In fact, they can't be, as that's blatant unrepentance. Pastrix Sarah Tevis Towns, a professing pansexual, said that being queer is fine. It's not radical in Christianity at all, and that the church has done a poor job of teaching gay people about God. In fact, and, and then we'll, we'll move to Article 3, she states that we can even read the story of Jesus through a queer lens. She explains, quote, He left home. He traveled. He never had kids. He hung out with a bunch of women in a time when that was a socially unacceptable thing to do. He didn't embrace Roman concepts of power. He modeled a very different way of being masculine. I think that's a good place for us to transition, <laughs> see what I did there, to Article 3. Found on NBCNews.com, headline, Texas pastor says gay people should be shot in the back of the head, in a shocking sermon. Now, this is a church in Texas, the Steadfast Baptist Church that's labeled an anti-LGBT hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which the SPLC is, is pretty loony, so you, you really can't trust what they say. Well, what appears to be a layman, Dylan Oz, who was filling the pulpit for the KJV-only church, and yes, sadly that matters, is these days it's an indication of a certain way of believing things— it's said in a recent message that gay people should be, quote, lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. The Southern Poverty Law Center might have a case to be made on this one. He said in his message that he's angry that this entire country is celebrating the worst sin in the Bible. Okay. He read multiple passages from the Bible describing homosexuality as a sin. Okay. And then said that they are dangerous to society. I mean... Yeah, it depends how you look at it. Okay, I, I'm okay. I'm with you so far. And all homosexuals are pedophiles. <laughs> he went on to clarify that, though. I'm not saying that every single homosexual that's alive right now has committed that act with a child already, because it could be that they haven't had the opportunity yet, and they will at some point later in their life. This is why we need to put these people to death through the proper channels of the government— these people are not normal. They're not your average everyday sinners. They have no hope of salvation. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, luckily, <laughs> Mr. Oz is not the pastor of the church. Pastor Jonathan Shelley was asked about this sermon, and he, uh, well, he defended Oz, believe it or not. He put out a lengthy statement according to the article, which they summed up, and I'll take it for granted as... I'm not going out there to try and find it and read it, as him saying that America has weakened the punishment for being homosexual, that God's laws haven't changed, and they will believe and preach the Bible no matter what. So we have that. We'll be back to visit Mr. Oz and Pastor Shelley in a moment. And that brings us to Article 4. Found on amgreatness.com, headline, Satanic Temple Pulls Out of Kid-Friendly LGBTQ Pride Event in Idaho After Backlash. Aw, I mean, you hate to see that. And they so wanted to be part of it, you know, for the children. 
This Pride in the Park event in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, including a drag dance, had a large number of participants and sponsors, but some sponsors started dropping when they found out that the uh, satanic group was involved. I mean, they have standards, you know. Rowan Astra, a member of the Satanic Temple, broke the sad news via Twitter, saying that they were dropping out. Now, I don't see a need to go a whole lot farther into this, but to give you an idea of the event, it is being put on by the North Idaho Pride Alliance with an agenda of family-friendly activities like a drag dance party, music and crafts, an artisan market, and community village booths, including an HIV and STD booth. A Pride Stride, a Say Pride photo booth, and Color Kindness Chalk Art Challenge. There are a number of sponsors, as one would expect, a number of businesses trying to be as woke as possible so they're not shunned and canceled. Of note on the religious front, however, for this oh-so-family-friendly homosexual fest, the Calvary Lutheran Church, the Community United Methodist Church, the Community of the Holy Spirit Ecumenical Catholic Communion, that's a solid name, and St. Luke's Episcopal Church, and until recently the Satanic Temple of Idaho. Rowan Astra, the tweeting spokesdemon, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, said that if Satanists wanted to attend the event, they should, uh, quote, keep their Satanism on the down low. That's, I mean, that's just solid advice, right? And with that, we've made it through the four articles. Mostly unscathed, maybe a bit icky feeling, but not permanently damaged. So what do we learn from this? What do we take away? And where do we go with this? And when I say we, I'm speaking to Christians. But those that aren't Christians that might be listening, but believe homosexuality is wrong based on whatever your reasoning is, I guess, you can kind of hitch a ride with us as well. What do we do? So first, the reality is, we've moved into a space where just being tolerant isn't enough. We must be accepting and affirming at this point. And more than that, as we can see from our first article regarding the graduation speech, alternative viewpoints, and that's namely anything speaking counter to the everything goes doctrine of the LGBTQ community, is verboten. And if that includes even the mention of religion, well you've crossed straight into violent hate rage. Of course, our third article with Mr. Killamall, that doesn't really help anything at all. Although he had very inflammatory language, and I think very dangerous language, especially in the unstable times we're living in right now, the most concerning things he said were first, quote, all homosexuals are pedophiles. Again, it doesn't help anything to paint any group with broad strokes like this. That's simply an ignorant, lazy statement. I haven't known many homosexual people very well, but the few I have got to know to some degree, they were definitely not pedophiles. Pedophilia and homosexuality are two distinctly different things which can cross, just as heterosexuality and pedophilia can. As if he had any credibility after all of his violent rhetoric, uh, this helps to destroy it further. Second, and I would say the most disturbing thing he said, the statement that would disqualify him as a pastor biblically and entirely, if he was one, is, quote, they're not your average everyday sinners, they have no hope of salvation. What he's just stated is that the sin of homosexuality is, in fact, the unpardonable sin. Now, you may recognize that phrasing more typically associated with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not using the Lord's name in vain, as some either believe or are confused on. The unpardonable sin is the rejection of the gospel message. The message written in the Bible prompted God breathed through the Holy Spirit and the gospel that the Holy Spirit points and prompts us to. To refuse that call, to thumb your nose at the Holy Spirit, that, not homosexuality or any other sin, is the unpardonable sin. And that sin isn't even locked in place until you die. If you die without believing the gospel, believing Jesus, and in an unrepentant, unsaved life, that sin can no longer be pardoned. You've refused the calling of the Holy Spirit. If Mr. Oz doesn't understand that the Greek word porneia actually describes all forms of sexually related sins, such as adultery, homosexuality, fornication, pornography, bestiality, etc., he should not be filling the pulpit, and he should not be considering becoming a pastor, if he is considering it. If Mr. Oz doesn't understand that all sins can literally be forgiven through the cleansing blood of Jesus, then he should not have the pulpit yielded to him. If Pastor Shelley defends that message and, disregarding the shocking rhetoric, believes that Mr. Oz is correct, that this is a sin that can't be forgiven, then I would say that he is disqualified to be a pastor, in my opinion. Now, both Oz and Shelley appear to be relatively young. This doesn't give them a pass, but it does say that they may need to step back and actually learn, grow in wisdom before attempting to preach on the topic of any sin. But the opposite end of the pendulum swing is sadly what we're seeing in so many churches today, acceptance, affirmation, ordination of LGBTQ individuals. The scripture is parsed through, dumbed down, cleansed, alternative explanations are given for very clear verses, extensive digging into the Greek lexicons and dictionaries are used to find the right definition for specific words to twist the scriptures to what you need in order to justify living in the sin you so desire and refuse to give up. Ms. Lindholm said it perfectly when she said that she eventually found a faith community that believes what she believed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is something to be said about finding a religion that believes what you believe, but that should be firmly planted on what the Bible says. What she's saying is that she doesn't believe the Bible is written, at least not parts of it, and she wants a church that affirms her disbelief in those same sections. See, she's not a Christian, and neither is her church. They are humanists that get some pleasure or satisfaction out of playing church, I guess out of the positive, lovey-dovey messages of the Bible, while ignoring all that icky sin and hell stuff. But more and more, we're seeing what we're supposed to be Bible-believing churches and denominations fall to the woke mob because they aren't firmly standing on God's word. They're standing on their human concept and twisted interpretation of God's love, and that's all. As Christians, what do we do? Well, we stand on the Bible. The Bible is very clear that homosexuality is a sin, that sexual perversion is sin. There is only one form of non-sinful sexual relations, and that's a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. That's it. If you've ever lusted, you're outside of it. If you've ever had sex outside of marriage, you're outside of it. Adultery, pornography, transgenderism, bestiality, pedophilia, homosexuality, all outside of it. And even if it's just the common plain Jane sin of lust, I'd say that we all fall in one or more of the categories of sexual perversion. God hates these sins. And if you're living in unrepentant sin, in unbelief, if you're not saved, God graciously allows you his common grace, the air, the sun, the rain, 
some happiness, maybe friends, a family, etc. But make no mistake, God doesn't love you as one of his own. You are at enmity with God in your unrepentant state. He hates the sin and despises the sinner. Homosexuality is clearly called out in various places, but a couple of the most common would be the story of the destruction of Sodom. Funny how that kind of almost sounds like the word sodomy. Probably just a coincidence. Anyway, Sodom wasn't destroyed because the men of the town wanted to rape the new men, you know, the angels that just rolled in, fresh meat. The angels didn't come to the town except to see that it is a city living in gross perversion and to get Lot and his family out. The city was destroyed because they were wicked, perverted, and unrepentant already. Their LGBTQ lifestyle, with no desire to change, sealed their fate. And then in the New Testament, Romans 1, it says, quote, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I just recently had someone argue with me that there was no way to know what women exchanging natural relations truly meant. No way to really translate that. And that men committing shameless acts with men actually meant that men who had natural desires to be with women, forcing themselves to be with men anyway, that's what was going against their personal nature, and that's what was shameless. This was a lesbian that was arguing this point. She also cherry-picked a few words from this passage, then cherry-picked the definitions from Strong's Dictionary that she liked best for her worldview to try to prove that this has nothing to do with homosexuality. Let's just say that I presented a counter-argument. As Christians, we must stand on what we know is true. Sin is sin. Anything counter to the will and laws of God is sin. The Bible is non-negotiable. God's laws are perfect and undeniable. There is no negotiating with God. There will be no banter, no point-counterpoint when we die. Is you is saved or is you isn't? That's it. Because of this, we know that homosexuality is a sin. If we're not willing to present the true gospel to those living in this lifestyle, it's best to shut up and walk away. To affirm them in their lifestyle is basically punching their ticket to hell. I literally fear for the pastors and elders or leaders of these gay churches, these gay-affirming denominations. We don't need to be mean, and I I think to my credit I'm generally very firm, non-negotiable, but kind— Although to tell someone that they're living in sin, that they're in danger of hell, that's never taken as kind, although it is literally the most loving thing that you can do. We also need to stand against these so-called churches that have no idea what they're talking about and are sinning by vomiting out their own garbage theology. They also need to be lovingly but firmly, biblically corrected as well. As Proverbs 1.5 says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. What you'll likely find with people like this church in Texas, though, is that they, uh, they aren't wise. They're, they're fools, as foolish as those living in the sexual perversion, as it turns out. Finally, have you ever noticed how the satanic temples and groups never seem to want to get involved with the local Bible-believing church in putting on a revival or even a family-friendly community event? But they're fine with aligning with the pride groups, the LGBTQ events. You would think this would give so-called gay and gay-affirming Christians a clue. 
But the minds of man are so blinded by sin, so self-centered, so desirous of our own preferred lifestyle, even partnering with those that worship Satan for specific things is fine if it promotes your agenda. As I said to start this review, I could present four articles per day regarding this topic at this point in our history. The only real answer is to know what you believe, and you need to believe what the Bible says. There is no other right answer. There are some points in the Bible that are up for argument. I'll admit that. There may be disagreement between denominations, but the gospel, the core of the Bible, and nearly the entirety of the Bible is well understood and well defined. It's not up to us to decide what we want it to say, then figure out how to make it say it. If there is confusion, start by understanding that if an interpretation of the scripture is relatively new, uh, it's wrong. The interpretation that Jesus might have been queer, that homosexuality is okay, that love is love and God will grade you on a curve, to the prevalence and confidence that it's being promoted today is relatively new. There are too many resources out there and too many patriarchs of the faith that have done too much work over the centuries to think that we'll find the correct interpretation today that they just couldn't seem to get. We've been given the truth. We need to study it, meditate on it, know it, and stand on it. And I'd venture to say that we're at the most difficult time of our lives to do just that. That doesn't absolve us of the need. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com, or increasingly, I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless. Thank you.